Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we'll be looking at just one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, as Jim and David have both said, uh, in the month of January each year, we usually spend time focusing in on our mission statement. And if you are a member of Cross Point Baptist Church, you should have that, uh, you know, that mission statement tattooed on your brain. And uh, if you would, uh, you can recite it here with me, is that Cross Point Baptist Church exists to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. That is why we're here. That is what we do. That is why we do everything that we do in the, these ways. Is because we want to make disciples. We want to help people follow and obey Jesus Christ from our neighborhoods to our nations. And so that's why each year we spend in January to think about our mission statement just more directly and remind us and kind of set a trajectory for us of everything that's going to occur in the rest of the year. Next week, we'll jump back into Exodus. I don't know if you remember, but that was the book that we were working through and that we got to Exodus chapter 15. So we continue our long, arduous journey through the book of Exodus, uh, which I'm excited about. And so if you found your place there in Acts chapter 1, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. I'll begin by reading, uh, starting in verse 1 and going through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with, men, with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, right now, as we open up your word, we need your spirit at work in us to guide us, to lead us into all truth, to convict us of sin, to empower us for ministry, oh God. And so I pray now that, Lord, as, as we look at your word and what you have given us, that we would be motivated by our love for Christ, who, as we've seen, is excellent, and the treasure of this life, and that would stir in us a longing to see our neighbors and all nations come to the saving faith in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, God, that you would be honored and glorified in our time together in your word, and that the mission of the church, empowered by your spirit, to bring your word, the word of your son Jesus Christ, will be accomplished to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. You may struggle with the question of when and when and when. When is this going to take place? When is this going to happen? When is it going to be? 
I think we all struggle most with this question when we have to sit in line somewhere. Maybe at the DMV. Anybody just love sitting at the DMV? Or maybe in the doctor's office. Hey, my appointment was at 1 and I'm, I'm, it's 2.30 now. When is it? When is it? When is it? Right? And uh, all they tell you is say, take a number, sit, sit and wait quietly, right? And, and do nothing. Just sit and wait, sit and wait. But we're always kind of, when is it? When is it? When is it? Even in life. And sometimes when we're so concerned about when, it actually immobilizes us and what we're supposed to do now, right? We're so concerned about when it's going to happen, when things are going to take place, we don't do anything now. And this is somewhat what Jesus is addressing here in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus addresses the question of when and now in Acts 1-8. Because, as you know, the apostles come to him. And they ask this question in verse 6. When, right? What time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And as you notice, Jesus doesn't answer the question, right? He says, it's not really your business to know what God has basically ordained and set into place by his own authority. Right? That's not the question you, you should be asking. Your question should be, what are you... What are you going to do right now until then? What are you going to do in the meantime until he returns, right? And so he answers it with Acts 1-8, which is the thesis of the entire book. If you're reading through the book of Acts, think about Acts 1-8 as it unfolds through every chapter. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Just a simple point for this morning's sermon. Jesus' disciples are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is... That is his statement. That is his answer to their question of when. When, when, when. And so we're going to break that statement down this morning. Those three, those three points he makes. And the first point is this, and he makes to his disciples. You, disciples, are empowered by the Spirit. You are empowered by the Spirit. This is your motiva- motivation. Now, if you think about in your own jobs, you know, incentives motivate people, right? Is that you give them a bonus or a raise or a gift. That motivates people to work hard, to do more things, to, to, to be advantageous, right? Or people, you know, they may want more knowledge to equip themselves to do better work, right? So incentives motivate people and knowledge and tools equip people. And so what more do you need in your job? If you have knowledge and tools for, for being equipped to do your job and you have incentives to motivate you to keep doing your job, what more do you need? And now, that may work in the corporate world, right? That may work in the business world. But that is not what or how it works in the church and in Christ's mission. No, that's not how it works. The Spirit empowers His people and motivates them. And the Spirit equips His people to do the work. And that's that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen to what He says. But you, you, disciples who will become his apostles he's addressing this ragtag bunch of people of men 12 ordinary men and it's going to be them you not some super special class of people it'll be you that's going to bring this message to the ends of the earth this good news and that they're going to receive power to do these things they will receive power how are they going to do this well jesus doesn't say you're going to have to conjure these things up in you you're going to have to manufacture some ability, create something in you. Maybe you'll have to, you know, my, my old football coach used to have this line up on, 
up on the wall. Intestinal fortitude. Anybody ever heard that before? Intestinal fortitude. Something within you, and I'm, I'm assuming in your intestines, and, uh, and it's something in you that just makes you want to do things and get motivated, things that you hate doing, right? The courage and determination necessary to do something difficult or very unpleasant. And so is that how these disciples are going to do this, bring this mission? Intestinal fortitude, willpower, hard work, right? No. What Jesus says to them is that this power comes from outside themselves. It's not innate within them. It's not born into them. It's not natural. It's been given and received. And what we hear for us, too, and what Jesus is saying to his own first group of disciples and apostles is that it will not be by their own will, by their own power, by their own strength, by their own wisdom or intestinal fortitude that any of these things that he lays out for them is going to happen. If they, if we, in trust in our own willpower and strength and wisdom and education, all these things, everything that we do will fail. It will ultimately fail. And that is such reassuring for us, Crosspoint. Isn't that? When we say our mission statement together, underneath that, even though it's not built into it, is that we know that ultimately, at the end of the day, making disciples of all nations for the good of all people and the glory of God cannot be accomplished by our own willpower, by our own strength, by our own intestinal fortitude. We need strength and power and ability from God for this task, and it only comes from God. And so he says, where does this power come from? It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The empowerment is the indwelling spirit within us. Jesus has already informed them of this in verse 5, that in Acts 2, the Spirit's going to come on them at Pentecost and empower them. And as you know, the same Spirit is not a different Spirit of what we see in creation. This is the same Spirit in Genesis 1-2 that is there, creating and forming the world. This is the same Spirit of what Paul says, raise Christ from the dead in Romans 8-11. This is the same Spirit, right? This is the same Spirit at work in creation who raised Christ from the dead who enables faith in us, who sanctifies us, who gives us gifts. It's also the same Spirit that empowers us for ministry. This is not a different Spirit. From Genesis 1 to now in the church, it's the same Spirit doing these things. And so the Spirit aids us in this missionary task that we've been given. This is what Jesus, as you know, the last couple of chapters in John, when Jesus tells his disciples, and they kind of, whoa, no, what's going on? Like, you're about to leave us? what are we going to do now? How are we going to make this? How are we going to continue doing what, all that you've said and done? And Jesus says to them in John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This has to be comforting to the disciples, right? All those who are listening to Jesus, he says, look, I'm not going to leave you and forsake you in this great missionary task. It's going to be by the Spirit's power and by the indwelling Spirit in each of us. We have everything we need to accomplish this task. He doesn't just leave us on our own. You ever been given a project by somebody and they didn't give you any direction on how to do it? Right? They're like, hey, here's this big project. Good luck. 
You're on your own. Figure it out, right? And you're like, where do I even start with this thing? That's not how Jesus handles his church. He gives them and empowers them, equips them with everything they need to make disciples. He doesn't leave them, as he said in his last words in Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am what? With you. Always to the end of the age. One author says it like this. This is Tony Morita. He says this. The ordinary people of God, equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. We have everything we need, church. And the rest of Acts demonstrates that they have everything they need. That Acts 1-8 is playing out and unfolding in the rest of the book of Acts. Is that the Spirit is, is at work in the church, and they're witnessing. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 6.10, speaking about Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit which he was speaking with. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. You will receive power, and the Spirit will give you the power and the ability and the strength to accomplish the task that Jesus has given us. But let me tell you this, Crosspoint. Listen here. Listen to me very carefully. Do you know how we can fail in our mission statement? Do you know how we can fail in our mission statement? Do you know how this mission statement that we say, make disciples of all nations, good of all people, and all the glory of God? Let me tell you how we can fail. We can fail to fulfill our mission statement by setting aside God's Word. By making ministry about anything else other than God's Son. And by relying on anything else than God's Spirit. That is the quickest and easiest way for us to fail in what we exist for. Set aside God's Word. Do point to anything other than God's Son. And rely on anything else than God's Spirit. We will fail. We will fail because we cannot do it on our own. We need the equipping and the empowering work of the Spirit in us. There's not enough tricks and gimmicks in this world that can do this work. There's not enough wisdom and knowledge and education. That won't suffice. And that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of work we want to do here. You know, we can get up here and we can do tricks and gimmicks and, you know, I can start juggling and telling jokes up here if you want. I'm not saying they'll be funny or I'll be good. But we can do all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people can come in. We might get a lot of people in these chairs. But guess what? We aren't here to create crowds. We're here to make disciples. And the quickest way that we can not make disciples, set aside God's word, dedicate our ministry to anything other than God's Son and rely on anything else than God's Spirit to do this work. We need God. If we are not relying upon God's Spirit and living in obedience to God's Word, our mission will fail. And so take comfort, church, Crosspoint family. 
We don't do this alone. The Spirit guides us in the Great Commission. The task, the task is big. Make disciples of all nations. It's a huge task, right? But guess what? The Spirit is God and is much bigger and much more powerful. And so every day that you walk out your doorstep, you are walking into a huge world that you may feel ill-equipped, not empowered, not confident, not able to reach. And let me just say this, when you step over your threshold, over your doorstep, on your own, you can't and you won't. But you don't walk alone. You walk with the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that was there in Genesis 1 that raised Christ from the dead, that opened up our eyes to see, that sanctifies us, and now empowers us for ministry. You don't walk out your doorstep alone. And so what are we empowered to do? Well, it says we are empowered to be his witnesses, and this is number two, witnesses. You think about witnesses, and hopefully we will never have, maybe, maybe you have been one, maybe you will be one, I, I hope not to be one, but you think about courtroom witnesses, right? Hopefully you won't have any witnesses against you uh, in a courtroom. But you think about witnesses that they're brought there and they have kind of this moral obligation and responsibility to testify or to communicate the truth about a situation or a scenario that happened so that there can be a better understanding of what's going on, right? That they are called on to reliably disclose information to these people. And this is Jesus' commission and expectation of his disciples is that they are empowered by the Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit to do something, to not sit in the DMV line, to be witnesses, to be His witnesses, that we are witnesses of Jesus, that we are possessed by God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that we've been authorized and given responsibility to testify about Him. And that this is what Jesus is informing His, his apostles. says, you've had an experience, you've seen something, You've heard something, and now you have a responsibility to do something with it. This is what John says in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. He's saying this, you've had an experience. You've seen the resurrected Christ. You've been transformed by him, and now you have a responsibility to be his witnesses. And this is the same responsibility that was given to Israel in Isaiah. Is that they were given a responsibility in Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses. That's what Jim read this morning. That's what Israel is supposed to be in their daily life, in their living. They were to be witnesses to Yahweh. So Jesus is picking up on the same commission that Yahweh gave to Israel and says, now, you are to be my witnesses, church. You are to be them. And this theme of witnessing and being witnesses happens over and over again in the book of Acts. Acts 5.32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Is that We have a responsibility now to communicate. That's what Shane talked about last week from Romans 10. A responsibility. And we have had an experience. We've been transformed and saved. We now have an obligation to be His witnesses. And so what are they bearing witness about? What are they bearing witness about? 
What is the content of their witness and testimony? Well, if you look at it in the book of Acts, if you read through, Peter and Paul's sermons are dedicated to one thing. Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's died. You crucified Him. And He's been raised from the dead to confirm that He is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. That's the content of all their sermons. That's the content of all their witnessing. Anything else will not save. Any other message will not save. And that's why they're dedicated to witnessing about the truth of Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection. This commission and calling in Acts 1a, we might be able to get out of this and say, this is, look, this is written to the apostles. Jesus said this to the apostles. This isn't to us. This is not our responsibility. Do you remember what Shane said last week? This is, this is their responsibility. Somebody else's responsibility. Well, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't give that caveat because we see other people who aren't the apostles witnessing in the book of Acts over and over again. People are witnessing. And so this commission and calling is not just for the apostles. It's for every single person who names the name of Christ. This is not just for the apostle, for the evangelist, the pastor, or the missionary. In Christ, we are all called to participate in the mission of God. Let me read another quote from Tony Marine on this. Really good. It says this. The difference, and think about this, church, the difference in a believer sitting in his or her American home and a foreign missionary on the field is location. That's the only difference from us sitting in our home and a person sitting in Ecuador or Uganda or China. The only difference is location, not identity. One's a missionary and one's just a Christian. No. Every Christian is a missionary. And so each of us should ask, where do I serve? To whom do I minister? Have you considered that? So this is not the responsibility, Acts 1-8, to be witnesses. That's, that's these people over here. That's missionaries in this country. That's them over there. We'll pray for them. We'll give money to them. We'll, we'll send teams to them. That's our responsibility. No. Here, Acts 1-8 applies to every single person in this room that names the name of Christ. We are all missionaries, whatever location you may be in. So the question that you should be thinking about is, to whom do I minister? To whom do I serve? To whom do I witness? Who is in your sphere of influence? Who is in your location? Who are these people? And so, so far, Jesus has answered two questions for us. How do we do it? By the Spirit. What do we do? We witness. And now, three. here's the, here's the third question. Where do we do it? This is point number three. We are empowered by the Spirit to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. As I said earlier, you may have been given a project by a manager, and maybe you didn't even understand the scope of the project, about how big it was going to be. It gave you a kind of a, maybe a glimpse of like, you, you got to do this, and then you get into it, and you're like, 
this scope of this project, it's, this is the work of 10 people, and you're putting it on my shoulders. This is a humongous project, right? What is the scope of this thing? And Jesus answers that here when he tells his disciples. What's the scope of the project? What, what, Jesus, what are you talking about here? To be witnesses, empowered by the Spirit? How, how, how large is this job that we're talking? And Jesus says, oh, it's global. It's global. Local to global. That's the scope of the project. And so Jesus kind of, man, he's so great. He gives us a missionary strategy here in Acts 1-8 about how all this unfolds from all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is that This is how you can see it unfold in Acts. As in Acts 4, Peter and John are preaching to the elders and the leaders in Jerusalem. In Acts 2, he's talking to the men of Judea. Philip, in Acts 8, is preaching to the people of Samaria. And in Acts 9, he's saying, this message is going to the ends of the earth. This is the scope. This is the strategy. Local to global. They start from their home base, and they spread out from neighborhoods to nations. And if you want to think about this missionary strategy in kind of concentric circles, is that they start locally, and then they go to the next level, and then they go to the next level, and then they go to the next level. That seems like what Jesus is kind of trying to portray for them, this missionary strategy. Start local, and then expand out. Maybe if you want to think about it in our terms, you start in the home, or you start in the city, or you start in the state, nation world getting larger and larger and larger. That's the scope of the project. And this has been God's goal for all time. That every single person on the face of this planet would hear. This is what the Lord says to Israel in Isaiah 49.6. I will make you a light for the nations. For the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This has been God's goal from the beginning. To reach every single square inch of the earth with the good news of Christ. And what this says when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it's not only saying the scope of the project and kind of the strategy of it, it's saying this. You and I am not excluding any person from this. Oh, well, I, I know what you're saying, Jesus. Yeah, like, I, I should reach those people in my town. But, I, yeah, those people in, in Denham Springs, like, not those people, right? Ugh, man, right? Like, yeah, I, I get it, God. Yeah, Louisiana. But really, is Mississippi worth it? Like, seriously, like, I, they're kind of like the Nineveh of the Old Testament. Like, does anybody really want to go there? No, right? And so, Jesus is saying that you don't get to exclude based on a race or ethnicity or what kind of people are there. No. No. He's saying Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Every single person, no matter what color, nationality, what they look like, think like, act like. All the earth needs the good news of Jesus Christ. So we have to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is the early church's mission strategy. And I want to I challenge us right now as we think about this, Crosspoint. 
How well are we doing in this? In our missionary strategy? How well are we reaching the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth here as a church and as individuals in our own lives? How well and how are we doing this? How well are we reaching our city, our state, our nation, our world? Are we bearing witness to Jesus to the ends of the earth? And you might think, oh, well, there's just not enough opportunity. That's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? The harvest is what? Plentiful. He didn't say the harvest is scarce. You're gonna, it's, you, it'll be a struggle for you to find places that need to hear the gospel. It's not what Jesus said. He said the harvest is plentiful. There are multitudes of opportunities. And that we are witnesses individually in our in our daily lives and corporately together as a church body, we are witnesses. So look personally. We have opportunities in our own families, maybe even the people that sit around our own dinner tables, maybe even the people that we go to reunions with, the people that we talk with on a regular basis, opportunities, people who need to hear. Your streets that you live on, we talk about this every year when we pray for our neighbors. Many of us today don't know the people that live across the street from us. But let me just tell you this, as one author said, God has not messed up on your address. God has not messed up on your address. You can't believe that God is sovereign over the entire universe and said, well, he's not sovereign over where he put me. He is sovereign even over what address he gave you. And he has ordained and appointed you to be there, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. God has put you on your street for a reason and for a mission. In our workplaces, God's not messed up on where you work. He's not messed up there. Yeah, you might think, well, I got here because I love this. I'm passionate about this. I want to do this. This is what I've been called to do. Yeah, he's gifted you. He's given you skills. He's given you abilities. But he's also given you a mission. And that you're there to excel in your job. And you should, and we should. But not only that, we're also given a mission to be witnesses in our jobs, in our workplaces. As a church, we have great and many opportunities here to be witnesses. We have an MDO program that children come from all different backgrounds, from Buddhist to Hindu to atheist, here on our campus. They choose to send their children here. We have an opportunity to reach the nations, and we don't even have to take a flight. We don't even have to take a plane. They're here. Cost of air, if you, were, if you were concerned, well, I can't pay for airfare. You ain't got to pay for airfare on this mission field. They're here on our campus four days a week. Landmark South, we just had a great a great conversation with them on this past week. The Landmark South nursing home opportunity. They want us to come in. They want us to invest in their residents and their staff. They want us to share the gospel. They want us to do devotions. They want us there. We, we, this is not like a closed country where we're having to sneak in. They've opened up the doors and said, have your way. Serve us. Share. Witness. Ecuador and Uganda, even larger. Look at the work that's being done there. God is doing a work in Ecuador and in Uganda. 
But we go. And we have opportunities to go. So the question is not can. The question is not how. The question is not what. The question is not where. Those aren't the questions about being spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not can, it's not how, it's not what, or it's not where. You know what the question is? Will. Will. Will you be obedient to be His spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? Will. And if you need motivation, if you need motivation... To say, I, I need to be motivated to be spirit-empowered witness to the ends of the earth. Here's our greatest motivation. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Who is given the glorious title in Revelation 1.5 of the faithful witness. Revelation 1.5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. His saying is this. Jesus, in the face of trial, tribulation, persecution, what 1 Timothy tells us, remained faithful for us. Continued to hold fast the confession. Bore our sins in His body on the tree. Ridiculed, mocked, slandered. Yet no word came out of His mouth. Because He was the faithful witness. And he bore the truth and bore witness to the truth until his dying breath. This is what the gospel author of John continually brings out about Jesus. He says the reason people hate him is because he bears witness to what? The truth. The truth. Crosspoint family, we have a great image and we have a great model of the faithful witness in Christ Jesus. And so, think on this question. Is Jesus, who is the faithful witness, worth giving our lives to being faithful witnesses for Him? Is Jesus the faithful witness who gave His life for us worth sacrifice and giving our lives to be a faithful witness for Him. This morning we have the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning if you don't know where you are with Christ, let me tell you this. If you do not have faith in Christ Jesus, you are in a very dangerous place on a trajectory towards judgment and hell and death. But Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, who shed His blood on the cross has come to bring forgiveness, peace between you and God, reconciliation, and that anybody who repents and believes, anybody in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, who repents and believes in this Christ, who is God in the flesh, who is the Savior of the world, who is the King of all kings, if you trust in Him, you too will be saved. This morning, you can leave out with the gospel and on mission this morning. Would you repent? I would love to speak with you about this good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, think on that question. 
Is Jesus the faithful witness worth giving our lives to be witnesses for him? Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful that Jesus is our model, that he came and bore witness to the truth. And this truth that we have received, that we've been transformed by God, by your spirit at work in us, empowering us and equipping us, let us be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Starting from our dinner tables all the way to the far reaches of the planet, in the jungles of Ecuador, in the poverty of Uganda, in the closed nations of China. God, empower us, equip us, for this mission. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.